You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, with me your host, Katie Charlewood, history harlot and reader of books. Welcome back everybody and if you are new here, congratulations, you've stumbled upon Who Did What Now? where my words are as vibrant as a neon sign on a Vegas strip. So you might want to brace yourself for a rollercoaster ride of expressive language that could make even the most seasoned linguists blush. If you are allergic to expletives and find colourful language offensive, maybe consider this your chance to exit gracefully. But if you're ready to dive headfirst into my linguistic whirlpool, buckle up and prepare for a verbal adventure that's anything but beige. I had to get beige in there. Can you tell I practiced that? I did. I practiced that a lot. <laughs> oh, I was like, let's go with colour puns. But yeah, it's been it's been an interesting week. If you've been following me on social media, you'll know why. If you have not been following me on social media, uh, I went viral again. And this time for something I didn't actually think was going to do anything. I literally thought, like maybe a couple thousand people would see it. I wasn't expecting literally millions of people to see my face, which is weird and daunting because it's been a while. I realised recently because I had to go through my my old videos because it was like, have you ever gone viral before? And it's like, yeah, a couple times. I've hit the millions a few times. One was uh, discussing Cinderella's prince having the clap. The other was about Mother Teresa being just an awful person, which got removed again. And I'm way past the, uh, like, the the appeal stage. And I'm like, well, now I have to make another video about how awful Mother Teresa is. I just won't deliberately call her trash. And I will phrase it in a way that shows how awful she is without it, without it getting reported, hopefully. Jesus, I just, yeah. But yeah, so I did this video... I did this video on the Titanic and it was about survivors not being believed. Because if you know me, if you've been listening for a while, then you know that my specific area of expertise is misinformation, sensationalism and propaganda. Like, that's that's my, my core skill set, you know? And so I happened to know this piece of information and I was like, well, you know what? 
I'll just make a video on it. Everyone's talking about it. It'll be fine. Just maybe some people will see it. It'll be nice. Some people did. And then I was like, in the news, I was, I was in, I was on the Daily Mirror and I was in Newsweek. I was on Deseret News. I don't even know what Deseret News is, but I'm in it. That's interesting. And then I'm also in the Donegal News, who interviewed me, actually. So when I was in the Donegal News, it was very funny to me because more people were excited about that than they were about me being in global publication Newsweek. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'm in the local paper and people are just like, yeah, like they're so into it. I was like, if I was on like an Irish TV show, I think people would just lose their minds. Like, I could show up on the Graham Norton show and people would be like, that's fine. I could be sitting weirdly close to Drew Barrymore. Just, she does like to get awfully close to people and I'm not against it. So, I could be there. I could be doing, I could be with Kelly Clarkson singing in a key that no one else is familiar with. You know, I could be doing that. I could be doing that. But if I were to show up on the Late Late Show, people would just... Their brains would explode out their head. You know what I mean? People would just be well into it. Like, there's something strange and lovely about it. It's just that sort of local love. It just really, really gets you a wee bit. So that's been an interesting um, week or so for me. It's... It has led to the typical, you know, nonsense. I've had turfs on my back because of the whole James Barry thing. I've had angry misogynists. Like, I had so many people being like, why are you making this a gender issue? I'm not making it a gender issue. It clearly was a gender issue. I am just providing you the details of it, including interviews with survivors like I had all these sources that I had meticulously (laughs) collected over the years and I had this ready to go you know and then of course there's the fellows being like why are you being so divisive and it's like um I'm not being divisive you're the one who's being divisive because I'm just pointing out inequality and you're getting really really mad about it and that's something I always find just very interesting because it's so close to the point but it's like they just haven't grasped it yet it's this whole thing of why people have an issue it's usually men it is usually men like why do they have an issue with feminism like why is feminism seen as a dirty word to them Like, why is the concept of women having equality or being higher up the ladder than them? Why is this an issue? Because, let's face it, straight white men have been at the top of this ladder. And if they believe that the system is correct and that everything is working and that everything is fine, then they shouldn't mind being lower down on the ladder. Or even sharing the top spot. Like, I don't see why... It's an issue. If everything is fine and you believe people are being treated fairly, why do you have an issue with someone else being at the top of the ladder? Is there some way that people are being treated when they're not at the top of the ladder that you are worried 
that that's going to happen to you? Like, hmm? Hmm? But yeah, it has been a wild week for me and there's just so much going on. Like, I'm genuinely considering getting an agent because there's so much happening. I mean, I've got a literary agent, which is fine because I have to get those books. I have to get those books in. I have to get the chapters in. They're not finished yet. I have been working on them, so that is progress. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, quit your jibber-jabber and fact me. In fact, you, I will. But first, we've got to get our source on. King Alfonso and His Age by Sir Charles Petrie Raising heirs to the throne in 19th century Spain, the education of the constitutional monarchy by Carolyn Harris. Magnificent Monarchs by Ian Locke. A King with a Mission. The Humanitarian Deeds of Alfonso XIII During the Great War. King Alfonso XIII of Spain, World War I, by Anti Ho. The Dictatorship of Primo de Rivera, A Political Reassessment, by Shlomo Ben-Ami. Arrogant Armies, Great Military Disasters and the Generals Behind Them, by James Perry. Alfonso XIII, Un Politico en el Trono, Javier Moreno Lucion. The Manual of Political and Social History of Spain, by Miguel Martorell. Calendario General de Reino de Italia, by the Italian Ministry. I did my best. That's 1920. The Spanish Monarchy from 1939 to 1975 by Jose Pina Gonzalez. Alfonso, the Playboy King by Sarah Navas. Thank God I took out the duck scene by Wilt Will. At the Court of His Catholic Majesty by William Miller Collier. Born a King, or Passages from the Early History of Alfonso XIII by Francis and Mary Arnold Forster Modernising the Nation, Spain during the reign of Alfonso XIII by Javier Moreno Luzon Are you sitting comfortably? Good, then let's begin. Now, you may have noticed, or it may have uh, surpassed you, is that this is episode 69, and so I wanted to talk about something a wee bit smutty, at the very least, and I happen to already know a little bit of information about the Randy Royal. Um, I was putting together a wee Randy Royal series, and I felt like sharing information about King Alfonso of Spain, who is just one of my favourite Randy Royals, uh, just because... It's very rare to have a king or a noble or any person to have both a private pornographic cinema and a nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize. So I thought this is definitely one for the books or at the very least one for the pods because, I mean, you know, there's like King Charles II, there was Catherine the Great. There was people, there were options. But, like, I very rarely talk about men on the podcast, which has been pointed out to me as well. You're like, you never talk about men. I was like, I know, it's just most of them aren't really that interesting. (laughs) So 
I uh, I thought, you know what? Two birds, one stone. Talk about a man. Talk about something smutty. Talk about a Randy Royal. It's fun. Let's just let's just roll into it. Let's get his uh, personal life off, shall we? So Alfonso, on the seventeenth of May, eighteen eighty-six, Alfonso was born at the Royal Palace of Madrid. He was the son of Alfonso the Twelfth of Spain. So when he's born, he's born as king, right? So his dad had died in November 1885. December, January, March, April, May. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I was just doing a little bit of math, (laughs) counting on my fingers. So he was born Alfonso Leon Fernando Maria Jamie Isidro Pascual Antonio de Bourbon y Habsburgo Lorena. How badly did I pronounce that, guys? I'm sorry. I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> so yeah, he is the posthumous son of the previous king of Spain. So after he was born, now he didn't have a normal start, right? He didn't have a normal start because when he was born, he was brought naked upon a silver platter to the Spanish prime minister. Listen, I never expect a royal to be typical in any way. I don't expect normality, but naked, served on a platter to a prime minister, just seems like a weird, like a weird thing. Behold, the king takes the tray off, like there is a baby surrounded by salad leaves. (laughs) It's like the scene in The Little Mermaid where like, (laughs) here is the club and it's just, oh God, like a suckling pig or something. It's really... It's so disturbing to me. I don't know. Like, here's a baby on a silver platter. Like, what the fuck? Royals are weird, man. That's all I'm saying. So, his mother was Maria Christina of Austria. So, just as well, when I like add her in there, because I, I feel like I forgot her for a minute. So, Spain is, you know, pretty Catholic. Pretty Catholic. So, five days after his birth, he gets baptised, right? Now, from the get-go, this is absolutely extra, right? So, he is wrapped in a golden fleece, right? Golden fleece. Mm. And is baptised with water brought from the River Jordan in Palestine, it was specially brought because it's like the holiest of holy, right? And this is a really serious affair. Like this is, this is the shit. So he is just adored because this is a baby king and everyone fucking loves it. He's got baptized and shit. Oh, and not only that, he is like immortalized in like a children's story. So there's like the Spanish version of the Tooth Fairy and he's a character in it. Like, they make him a character. But, um, Alfonso, like, I don't know if you know much about the Spanish monarchy, but it is, mmm, it is, it is not as bad as Cleopatra's. Granted, the Ptolemies are much worse. But still, the House of Bourbon, which is to whom he belonged, and like the House of Bourbon, it was a branch from the family wreath that was the Habsburgs. 
So there was just so much weird incest going on there. You've got nieces marrying like uncles and cousins marrying each other in just weird connections so that technically your sister was your cousin and shit like that. It's, it's odd. But yeah, there's there's typically, typically, right, if you go back 11 generations, there should be 1,024 people. If you go back 11 generations for Alfonso, it's 111. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, that's, that's too small, right? That's too small. Like, that's, mm, mm-mm. But yeah, he's he's pretty. His his genetic pool is like it's like a puddle, you know. It's pretty. It's pretty concise, you know. So that's that's just it's a, it's a lot of repeats and a lot of weird, weird intermarrying. But anyway, he is pretty well educated because he's being trained to be. A ruler. I mean, he's already the king of Spain. He just needs, you know, the education and the tools in which to do that. So yeah, he's well educated because he gets this military education. So he's supposed to have this military vocation and it strengthens his Spanish nationalism. Like that's the whole purpose of it. And so he has all of these tutors, which are like specific military tutors because he's meant to be connected to the military, you know, and he's supposed to be a strong leader for it. But he also gets these, um, like, liberal political teachings and these, and these philosophical moral teachings. Like, they really try to round him out, which is, I think, really nice for royalty, because a lot of the time they don't do shit like that. So he's pretty well-rounded. So Alfonso the Boy King, he was well popular. And because, you know, he was a child, his mother was serving as regent in his stead. So Maria Christina of Austria, she's just she's just keeping an eye on things up until his 16th birthday. So before he actually gets the crown, when he's like 12, the Spanish-American War happens and they lose colonial rule in Puerto Rico, Guam, Philippines and Cuba. So, like, there's a few places vying for independence and then, you know, there's there's a, a ship that implodes in Cuba and it becomes a whole thing. Anyway, I don't know too much about the Spanish-American War, but that's the gist of its starting. So, anyway, they lose colonies and then, like, was it two years later, Alfonso gets really fucking sick. So, the 1889-1890 pandemic... It fucks him up. So he is, what, now 14 at this point? And he gets this flu, and this flu absolutely floors him. And it attacks his nervous system. And they're really fucking worried. They don't know whether he's going to be there or not. And it just, it just screws him over. Luckily, he recovers. And recovers pretty well, considering... So two years later, 1902, he assumes his role as king. So when he does come of age in May, he takes an oath to the constitution before members of the Cortes and he gets this 
just massive party effectively because there are festivities and balls and receptions like all over Spain and there's bullfights and he receives this military. So yeah, Alfonso is king and he needs a queen. So by the time he's 19, he's expected, you know, to marry someone. So he goes on this trip to the UK, some kind of state visit, and he meets Victoria Eugenie of Battenberg, who's the granddaughter of Queen Victoria. Now, Alfonso's mother, Maria Christina, she's not too keen on the match because, you know, Queen Victoria's children and grandchildren, they all have, or they all have, they are all susceptible to haemophilia, right? And so Maria was worried that her grandchildren would also have haemophilia. So there is like a half, 50-50% chance that Victoria Eugenie would pass it on. But he liked her, he thought she was pretty, she liked him too. And it's a decent match, she's still royal, she's still within the, the right power frames. They're not, you know, siblings or cousins, which is good. Like, it's nice to have some variation in there a wee bit. Just just a wee bit, you know? So, while they're preparing for the wedding, um, he gets a woman pregnant and, uh, yeah, yeah, he sires his first illegitimate child at 19. That's right, I said first. We're not surprised, they're royals, they're always blinking somebody. There was one other wee snag, though, and that's that Victoria Eugenie, she was, um... Protestant and of course Alfonso's Catholic so that's a whole thing and so she made it clear that she was willing to convert to Catholicism like she was happy to change it wasn't going to be an issue um Maria Christina she's still trying to get him to you know marry someone of Habsburg Lorraine or or some other like Catholic princess but when she's willing to convert she's like okay cool and in 1906, she sends an official letter to Beatrice, who's Victoria Eugenie's mum, right? Because it's always the mothers organising the matches, isn't it? So everything is agreed and Victoria Eugenie travels to France and then meets Maria Cristina and Alfonso. She converts to Catholicism. It's all good. So in May of that year, diplomats from like both kingdoms have to like officially agree the marriage. And on the 31st of May 1906, Alfonso and Victoria are married at the Royal Monastery of San Jerónimo. And that's in Madrid. So while the procession is happening, this anarchist throws a bomb from the window. Because why would you not want to interrupt a wedding day with a good explosion? So this is an attempted regicide because not only is there just like these guys, but there's also a fuck ton of like European royalty just there too. So yeah, this dude throws a bomb from the window and it's an attempted regicide, but it doesn't doesn't harm either the king or the queen. It does, however, kill 30 civilians. So that's like bystanders, members of the procession. And then, of course, on top of this, you know, it wounds like another hundred or so people. So a lot of people really got hurt from this. Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. 
Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MKUltra? Wait, what? (laughs) Anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. So they're married, hooray! And then, in 1907, their first child is born, Alfonso. Now, over the next seven years, they have seven children altogether. So Alfonso, then six more. That's one a year. Jeez, they were at it consistently. Basically, she would have had to have healed and they would start shagging again. Jesus, lad. You're just just going for it. So, he has seven legitimate kids. And then he has at least another five illegitimate ones with, like, a bunch of them. A bunch of them, a bunch of them, like, between his lovers, right? So, two of his sons with Eugenie, Victoria Eugenie, they inherited haemophilia. Which is apparently one of the reasons why there was, like, some issues between the couple. And this was meant to be a cause of contention that he felt it was her fault that they had haemophilia. But, like, imagine that. He's blaming her for something he knew was going to be a possibility because it was, like, a genuine worry that she was going to be a carrier of haemophilia. So, um, Alfonso Jr., effectively, and Gonzalo, they both inherited haemophilia. But, like, the daughters didn't and stuff like that. And I think their final son, Juan, I know he didn't. So, everybody else, apart from these two, so he's, like, mad at her. And he distanced himself from her because of this. Which um, is one way of putting it. But also, are we forgetting that he had six illegitimate children? Like, he had one previous to his marriage. And then another five during it. So, you know, I feel like, considering he had already gotten someone pregnant, you know, while he was preparing for his marriage, while he was looking for, you know a wife, he probably was never going to be the most faithful of husbands at the best of times. And, you know, considering his, you know, 11 generations back, 111 ancestors, I really don't think he's in a position to be insulting anybody's genetics. You know what I mean? Sometimes when you're having issues with your spouse, though, you do need a good distraction. And Alfonso had one, which was World War One. So because he had family connections on both sides of, like, World War One, he decided to keep Spain neutral. 
And the thing is as well, like he paid attention to public opinion and because of this, it just wasn't worth it for him to be involved. Like there was too great a division, it wasn't worth it for him. But like, it's very interesting the neutrality position that it had during World War One, because the king, he sets up this, this office and the whole purpose of it is to assist prisoners of war regardless of the side you're on. So there's this um, diplomatic and military network which is there to help prisoners of war. It's transmitting and receiving letters for them, helping them with services and the office is actually in the royal palace itself. And another thing he tries to do is when he hears of the issues happening with the Romanovs, he tries to save Tsar Nicholas II and his family when he hears they've been captured. So as we know that in Britain when, you know, it was asked, when they were asked for help, they turned them down and other nations did the same. But Alfonso, he's like, no, come here. So he sends telegrams to the Bolsheviks and he's offering, you know, to give the Russians to bring the royal family to Spain. So he is at one point informed they've been executed, but he is convinced that it's just, um, like, Nicholas II and Alexei. He thinks the two of them have just been killed. He thought that Alexandra and the, you know, the four girls, that they had been, you know, spared. He didn't realise they'd all just been slaughtered. So he was, like, pushing to try and get them there, which is a really empathetic thing to do, especially for, like, a royal leader, because a lot of the time... Like, a lot of it is, like, stiff upper lip. You don't see stuff like this. But on top of this as well, like, when the quote-unquote Spanish flu breaks out, which, mm, and because there's no, like, press embargo in Spain, he ends up getting ill again. I mean, he, he got ill during, like, that other pandemic with the flu, so I'm not surprised he got ill this time. So it gets reported when he gets ill and it gets reported when he's, you know, recovering. And one of the reasons why it's reported in this fashion is because the US doesn't want to admit that it was them. So the USA, uh, the Spanish flu actually originated in their barracks, you know, home and abroad. And Spain was the first country to report this illness because they didn't want to, like, mess with morale and stuff. Well, that's the excuse that was given. But Spain was like, no, there's, there's a big illness here and we need to curtail it. And so it gets called, you know, the Spanish flu. It's, it's like, I've joked about it before, calling it fake news, but it fucking is. And they did it because they were mad that A, Spain was neutral, even though it was helping its own POWs, right? And they were mad because they didn't want to have to, like, explain it was them. But fuck them, it was them. It should have been, like, I don't know, the Arkansas flu. I can't remember where it's from. I have it written down somewhere, but I don't remember exactly. So while World War One is raging on, in 1917, Alfonso instructs a Spanish consul in Jerusalem to help protect Palestinian Jews. Like, so he does these actions for offers of protection, right? And so, so on top of this, there's this dude, he's an official in Tetuan, he's like a really high official and he commits this onslaught against Jews, right? And he is really high up, he's got supports from the Spanish Minister of Foreign Affairs, and he thought he could be anti-Semitic on Alfonso's watch, and he was like, <laughs> fuck this for a game of soldiers, uh, you are being removed from power, uh, bye-bye. Because as far as Alfonso was concerned, 
all of his Spanish subjects should have the same level of protection. It's nice when there's a leader who isn't anti-Semitic, isn't it? That's nice. Another thing that happened during World War One, so like a year after the war breaks out, in 1915, Royal Films is established by Ramon and Ricardo de Buenos. Because it can't be all work and no play for Alfonso. Oh no. So he uses the Count of Romanos as this intermediary, right? And so he is the go-between between these these brothers and and the king. And so Royal Films is established specifically to create and supply erotic material to the royal household. So they made porn for the king. Like that was that was the plan. And you really have to give it to him because Alfonso was a trendsetter when you think about it. This is like a full century before OnlyFans made custom porno for anybody, right? Or for everybody, really. And the king, that's right, the king of Spain has a side hustle in making adult films. Like, for his own private consumption. Like, that is, that is mad. He is a pioneer of pornographic cinema in Spain. And this is where he gets this, um, this title of the king playboy between, you know, the many illegitimate children and this, you know, pornography situation. Now, this has led people to suggest that he may have had, like, a sex addiction, which is supposedly satiated by, you know, the dirty films. So, the Bourbons in general, they were kind of known for being into their hanky-panky, but they were just better at hiding it. So, Alfonso, he isn't just, you know, bankrolling the situation. He's also providing concepts. So he is suggesting ideas for like storylines and plots and he even had a thing for personally casting the lead actresses. And he is known for having a preference for women with enormous breasts. Mmm, big boobed babes. Oh, the humanity. Woo, what a weird kink. (laughs) He likes the boobies. So he is getting these films right. They're made and they are screened sometimes just for Alfonso, just just for himself. And then sometimes he'd have like a wee porno party. He'd invite his pals round and they'd all watch it together. Is that a thing? Is that a thing? Do men just watch porn together? Like just as a a group activity that you all share? (laughs) Ooh, okay. So there's a bunch of these films made and they're like... And some of the storylines are classic and definitely rooted in Catholicism. Like there's a good few that involve priests and such. But yeah, he seemed to have he seemed to have a preference, you know? So all in all, 70 films were made, but only three have survived. There's The Confessor, which is about a priest shagging one of his parishioners. The Minister is about a woman, you know, offering to let a priest plunder her cave of wonders if she defends her husband in something. 
And then there's Lady's Office, which is a doctor boinking his patients. Now, there's definitely some kind of power play here. He seems to be into that. Good for him, I guess. I mean, it's good to know what you like. Don't be shamed about your personal porn preferences unless your personal porn preferences are creepy as fuck. So yeah, Alfonso is known as, like, the playboy, but he's also known as El Africano, which is, like, the African. So by the time the 1920s rolls around, he's thinking, oh, it's a wee shame we lost those colonies over in the Americas. Wouldn't it be swell to have something somewhere else? So he's thinking Africa, because, you know, he's kind of he's into it and he wants to expand Spain's reach because he's trying to, like, grip onto colonial powers in Morocco. Unfortunately, the public aren't really keen on this. And this rift war that lasted, like, six years really pissed people off. And so while this was going on, people were, like, burning flags in the street, and they were getting slowly but surely more pissed off with the monarchy. So there is defeat after defeat happening in Morocco, and... It gets to the point that Spanish soldiers just refuse to get on the boat in Malaga. Like, things are just not going well and everybody just hates this whole situation. So by the time 1931 rolls around, there are these municipal elections in Spain, right? And the Republic Coalition, which wanted to change the country's government system, wins by this, like, massive margin, right? So the whole point of this vote is to choose whether the monarchy continues, right? That's the whole purpose of it. So the government is fucking shocked when the election comes around. When they realise that the monarchy is done, it's screwed, it's not happening. And Alfonso, he decides best get the heck out of Dodge and he leaves the country on April 14th, 1931. And the Second Spanish Republic is established. And it's it's actually yeah, like pretty peaceful, actually. So at this point, Spain is now a republic and the government is, you know, sort of in charge of everything. So there's no, you know, monarchy. So later on that year, the government has this debate about Alfonso. And so, you know, he interferes in institutions. He was doing stuff for gain and, you know, making decisions without consulting the government. So he was, and they effectively decided that Alfonso was guilty of high treason. So... By the time he's gone, when he leaves Spain, he is living in exile and he's getting involved in these anti-Republican plots. I mean, he tries to gather all these supporters from, you know, different factions from the monarchist camp. And in 1932, he endorses a manifesto by the claimant Alfonso Carlos. And so this hints that the, the king might give up his rights if certain conditions were met. Now, in 33, um, Alfonso's two eldest sons, they both renounced their claims to the throne. And in 34, Gonzalo, the youngest son, he dies. And this leaves Juan, his only male heir. And in 1936, there's an attempted coup against the Republican government. So, Alfonso's son, Juan, he tries to join the rebel faction. But he is stopped and returned by a rebel general because they, they see through the plot, like, because he goes in under a false name and he tries to break in. And it becomes clear to Alfonso 
that he is not going to be restored as king. And so, after the Republican victory, after the Spanish Civil War, and the establishment of the Second Spanish Republic, Alfonso leaves Spain again. And Alfonso, he is very aware now that he is not getting that throne again. It is not on the list. And so, on the 15th of January, 1941, Alfonso renounces his right to the Spanish throne, thus allowing Juan to claim the title. And at this point, Alfonso, he is exiled and he is living in Rome. And then on the 28th of February that year, 1941, he passes away from a heart attack. So back in Spain, Francisco Franco, who's the dictator at the time, he orders three days of national mourning which seems like a really weird, no hard feelings kind of gesture. I'm sorry I took over rule in the country. Um, gonna mourn you now. So the ex-king, his funeral is held in the Santa Maria degli Angeli e dei Martiri, uh, which is in Rome. And then he's buried in the Spanish National Church of Rome, which is the Santa Maria in Monserrato degli Spagnoli. And there he remained until 1980, when his remains were actually removed and transferred to El Escorial in Spain. It's nice he got to go home eventually. And so ends our tale of the Randy Royal, King Alfonso XIII of Spain. So if you liked my retelling of this story, feel free to rate and review five stars on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. If you happen to have me on both, I wouldn't mind it. Double dipping, I'll take it. (laughs) There are very few times when it is acceptable to double dip, and this is one of them. So if you're willing to do that, that'd be fantastic, because it really helps boost the show and boosts up the algorithm, and it helps people find me and see me, and it puts me on the recommendations. It just really, really, really helps. I just realised I forgot to do my dedication. So this week's episode is for my fantastic Patreon supporter, Jamie. Love you, Jamie. You've been with me so long. It's been 92 years. But yes, it has been a wild, it's been such a wild week. I'm surprised. And I hope you're all enjoying the summer and getting to do something nice. You should. You should go and treat yourself to something. I don't know what it is, but you go treat yourself to something. Oh, recommendation time. Okay. I am going to recommend for reading... The book Fingersmiths by uh, Sarah Waters. It's a good read. You should just just go read it. It's fun. For listening, Harley Quinn and the Joker. It is a podcast on Spotify. It's got Christina Ricci. Just listen. She's fabulous. Absolutely. And for watching. Ooh. Has anybody seen the new Indiana Jones movie yet? I know it's got time travel in it and that's kind of eh. But go see the Indiana Jones movie if you haven't, because we can't help ourselves at this point. If I start something, I like to finish it. It's one of the reasons why I haven't watched any Fast and the Furious films since, like, the second one. Because I haven't seen the third. And until I go through them in chronological order, I can't watch them. It's like this time I accidentally read the second novel in a book series and it pissed me off so much cannot convey to you just how enraged I was and I had to like go and find the first book in this weird book series and anyway 
I hope you have a good time. Enjoy your summertime. And don't forget, you can follow me on social media. I am on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. I am in all the places. The links are in the description down below. So come say hi. I'm pretty good at responding when I'm not being sent, like, paragraphs of bollocks. But anyway, I shall bid you farewell. Adios. Au revoir. Au revoir. Bye-bye.